0: Scare everyone away. So praise the Lord for that. Let's take our Bibles tonight, and we're going to the book of Leviticus again. Leviticus chapter one. We're going to get past number one. We are going to get past number one. <laughs> we are indeed. Uh, so we're actually going to cover like through chapter seven, but but don't get, let that scare you either. Okay. <laughs> now I hope what. What I'm able to do for you folks here at Grace Baptist is what we've seen at Faith Baptist as we've gotten into this book here is it gave a desire for our folks to really dig in and read it and study it for themselves. And it's a book that, again, most people skip over, uh, but there's a lot of beautiful truths in it. A uh, powerful book, uh, this book of Leviticus. I hope you'll be like the Bereans, in Acts chapter 17, where Paul comes, and Silas, and they're preaching the gospel, and it says that they were more noble than those that were in Thessalonica, and that they received the word with all readiness of mind, and searched the scriptures daily, whether those things were so. So they heard what the preacher said, but that wasn't good enough. They themselves dug into the scriptures to see, okay, is this the truth? Is this really how it is? And that's, That's the heartbeat that any good preacher should have. Uh, We want those that hear our preaching to say, I want to go back to God's Word and study it for myself. And our desire is that the Word of God would just do what it does best, and it will transform lives uh, better than we ever could. So let's pray, and we'll get right into it. Father, help me now as I teach your Word. I pray it will be a blessing here as it was uh, in Silver Springs when we covered it. Uh, Lord, we are so grateful for this book of Leviticus. Again, I know it's one that we Christians tend to skip over, but it is Your Word. And You went to great lengths to preserve it, to inspire it, to give it to us. And Lord, You have been faithful. And Lord, as we consider Your Word, how it transforms our lives, how it is that quick and and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, how it is full of your promises that guide us through each step, that lamp uh, to our feet. Lord, I pray that uh, it would stand out very clearly to us and that we would have a hunger to go back and dig into it all the more. We praise things in your name. Amen. Now, the folks at Faith Baptist had a little bit more of an advantage than you folks have had here at Grace Baptist See at Faith Baptist Church, what we do uh, right now is uh, we have a small group time at 10 o'clock, and in the small group time, uh, our 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 classes are individually reading through the passage that I'm going to preach on that that you know that particular morning at 11. So they get a little extra chance to dig in themselves and and have a, a bit of an overview before I stand up to speak. Um, this morning I gave an introduction to the book of Leviticus. I want to give a little bit more introduction so you are aware of what's going on in the book and then you're ready for uh, what I'm going to say after that. So the book of Leviticus, and I think, uh, Chris, is this, this should be in one of the slides, I believe. Uh, it can be divided into seven segments. Ha ha, it is. Praise the Lord. We don't have a well, we have a projector, but we don't have anybody to run it at Silver Springs. So this is cool. This is exciting. Alright. So um, the book of Leviticus is going to be di- divided into seven segments. Uh, these seven segments are instructions concerning offerings, the consecration of the priests, the ritual purity laws, the day of atonement, the moral purity laws, the qualifications of the priests, and then feasts and holy days. Uh, These instructions, these laws given to Israel were to help shape their worship of God. And as I said this morning, uh, help them live with the holy presence of God dwelling in their midst. As Leviticus opens up in Leviticus chapter 1, verse 1, And the Lord called unto Moses and spake to him out of the tabernacle of the congregation, saying, Uh, Moses is there with the congregation. They've just completed the tabernacle. But as we close the book of Exodus, Moses can't go into the tabernacle. He can't. Yeah, let's go ahead and get that. Uh, We have a handout, and that's going out now. Um, He can't go in and serve in the meeting place where God designed for Israel to meet. And that's a problem. And so what God is going to do here is open up a way that they can go into this meeting place. He's going to give them some offerings that they're going to be able to bring in to atone for their sin or, or express gratitude before God. And they're going to consecrate priests that are going to have the job of offering up these offerings. And when the priests are consecrated, there's this great ceremony of setting aside Aaron and his sons to do the work of the ministry. And then it gets a little south, but we'll, we'll get to that when we get to it today. I want to focus on the idea of the offerings. Now, this concept is kind of foreign to us, Uh, Here in America in 2023, because when you got ready to go to church today, maybe you grabbed a snack or or uh, you were you know just scrolling through Facebook and you you know dawned on you like, oh, it is time to go, and you loaded up and you drove over here. Not at a single moment of time did it ever cross any of your heads that oh, I wonder if they're going to bring an animal in and haul it up on the platform and kill it and burn it and it's somehow going to be worshipped before God. Like, that's just so weird. That's so foreign. That's something we, we would not do. Most of us don't even like to know where our hot dogs come from. <laughs> I, Rural Pastor 101, I, I, I one of my tasks a few weeks ago was to help a church member process chickens. That was, you know, that was my day, you know. Um, But in Israel, that was a day-to-day thing. That was life. That was part of their worship before God. When they came to the tabernacle, when they came to the temple, they were going to bring an offering, and they knew full well what was going to take place. Because God had instructed them about offerings. And also, in the ancient world, everyone did it. Every religion had it. So it wasn't completely strange, the idea they would offer an offering, yet God, He gives some very specific reasoning for this offering, or rather five offerings, and you should have received a handout of those offerings. Let me just go over them. Uh, Again, I'm going to overview, I'm going to challenge you to go back and read it for yourself. The first offering that we find given here in Leviticus, picking it up in verse 2, Angie, speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them, if any man of you bring an offering unto the Lord, ye shall bring your offering of the cattle, even of the herd and of the flock. If his offering is, be a burnt off, a burnt sacrifice of the herd, let him offer a male without blemish. He shall offer it of his own voluntary will at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation before the Lord. And he shall put his hand upon the head of the burnt offering, and it shall be accepted for him to make atonement for him. So the first offering that we see in the book of Leviticus would be the burnt offering. The burnt offering was the most common offering. It was offered Every morning and every evening, it was offered on special days, it was offered on the Sabbath, it was offered on the new moon, it was offered at the feasts, uh, it was offered uh, for performing various rituals, I and mean, it, it was just like the, the status quo, baseline, normal offering. Can we call it that? The normal offering was the burnt offering. And, and what would be offered would be uh, an animal from either the herd, as you read there, that'd be cattle or from the flock, which would be uh, sheep or, or goats, or they could even bring a bird, a, a pigeon or, or turtle dove, and that animal would be brought in, the one who is offering the burnt offering would put his hand on the head of the offering, uh, and th- in a sense it would um, be like appointing this representative that's going to go and be burnt up, you know, I- I- and die on your behalf, and this animal would be uh, killed, its blood sprinkled on the altar, and completely consumed upon the fire. The second offering that you're going to find in the book of Leviticus, this one is one we don't really think of. When we think of offerings, we think of the burnt offering. Yeah, you know. But there's a second kind of offering that's given here. It's in Leviticus chapter number 2. And so let's take a look just briefly a few verses there. And uh, Leviticus chapter 2, verse 1. And when any will offer a meat offering unto the Lord, his offering shall be of fine flour. And he shall pour oil upon it, and put frankincense thereon. And he shall bring it to Aaron's sons, the priests. And he shall take there out his handful of flour thereof, and of the oil thereof, with all the frankincense thereof. And the priest shall burn the memorial of it upon the altar to be an offering made by fire of a sweet savour unto the Lord. And the remnant of the meat offering shall be Aaron's and his sons. It is a thing most holy of the offering of the Lord made by fire. So this meat offering, it goes by several different uh, different names. but It can be called the meat offering or the meal offering or the grain offering or the cereal offering. This was a non-animal offering. This was, you're bringing grain. You're bringing flour. You're mixing it with oil and frankincense. You may even cook it before you brought it there, you could bring the priest a stack of pancakes, and that was the offering, that was the grain offering, that was the purpose of the grain offering, just say thank you. Say, God, you're good, I don't want to show you how much I appreciate how good you are, I'm going to bring this gift, and it's going to take care of your priests that are serving on my behalf and offering up my burnt offerings, so here you go, Lord, just to say thank you. Just to praise you, here is my meat offering. Here is my meat, you know my cereal, my grain offering. The grain offering was always mixed with oil and then frankincense. It could be cooked, it'd be uncooked. The one thing about it, no leaven was allowed, and it was always seasoned with salt. The priest would take a portion of it, burn it on the altar, and the rest would be for them. The third offering, Picking up in Leviticus 3, and uh, if you would, looking at Leviticus 3, and if his oblation be a sacrifice of peace offering, if he offer it of the herd, whether it be a male or female, he shall offer it without blemish before the Lord. This third offering is called the peace offering. Uh, I, I, on your handout, I have the Hebrew names in, in there too. It's the Shalomim. It's the same word that you hear Shalom, which means peace. That's why it's called the peace offering. It, you know, it just it's, it's in the name. It is the peace offering. The peace offering was given as a thanksgiving, or perhaps you had a prayer that you, and you said, God, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take and, and I'm gonna have a vow that I'm gonna make before you, and and I'm gonna. Take this vow as to show you how serious I am about what I'm praying for, and when God answers the prayer and you fulfill your vow, you would offer up a peace offering. Now, the peace offering is, is different than the um, meat offering in that same thing it would be an animal—not a meat offering, the burnt offering—it'd it'd be an animal. It, it would be killed. It would, you know, part of it would go on the altar, but then part of it would go to the priests. And the remainder of the animal would actually get sent home with you. And then what you would do is you would gather all your friends and neighbors and you'd have a big barbecue. (laughs) And it was a way for all the community to celebrate what God had been doing in your life. In a very real sense, it's kind of like what you did earlier in the service today where you shared just how God's been good to you and what God's been, been uh, showing you in your study of His Word and, and how He's been answering your prayers and just celebrating together what God has done is the idea of the peace offering. There, you're going to take this offering, and part of the animal would, that would be burned would be the, the uh, fatty innards that was typically in the ancient world the most coveted uh, portions. Nowadays, we don't, we don't want that. We want the you know the steak and stuff, but in the ancient world, that's where all the nutrients were, so that's what they wanted. So the best part really, it gets burned up. They're giving the best to God. Uh, there's a portion, the, the, the right part, the, the right shoulder, right breast, that, that's going to the priest, but the rest is for you and your neighbors to celebrate God's Goodness, God's faithfulness. The fourth offering. Picking up in Leviticus chapter 4. The Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children uh, 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 children of Israel, saying, If a soul shall sin through ignorance... "...against any of the commandments of the Lord concerning things ought not to be done, and shall do against any of them, if the priest that is anointed do sin according to the sin of the people, then let him bring for his sin which he hath sinned a young bullock, without blemish unto the Lord for a sin offering. He shall bring the bullock unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation before the Lord, and he shall lay his hand upon the bullock's head, and kill the bullock before the Lord." And the priest that is anointed shall take of the bullock's head and bullock's blood and bring it to the tabernacle of the congregation. The priest shall dip his finger in the blood and sprinkle of the blood seven times before the Lord before the veil of the sanctuary. The priest shall put some of the blood upon the horns of the altar of sweet incense before the Lord, which is in the tabernacle of the congregation, and shall pour all the blood of the bullock at the bottom of the altar of burnt offering, which is at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. Uh, And I'll stop there for just just for sake of reading. Now you know where to look here. What is the sin offering? The sin offering, it's not an offering of thanksgiving. It's not an offering of praise like the peace offering was. The sin offering, as we read at the very beginning of the chapter there, is if you sinned, but you you did so in ignorance. You did wrong, but you didn't realize you were doing wrong, or or you didn't mean to do wrong. You still did wrong. And this is powerful when we think about it because here God is saying, I'm going to hold you accountable. But even then we have God's patience being revealed. I'm going to hold you accountable, but I'm going to give you some instructions here to where each and every person will be able to offer up a sacrifice to get that thing right. Now, the sin offering, what was offered, depended on who committed the sin. If a priest or the entire congregation sinned, then a bull was brought in, a large animal. If a leader, a judge, somebody who would typically be a little more uh, um, well-to-do, a little more affluent, uh, if he sinned, he'd bring a male goat, if it was a common person, and a female goat or a lamb. If the one who sinned could not afford a lamb, then he could bring in two turtle doves or pigeons, And if he couldn't even afford that, then he could bring in an ephah, which would be 22 liters, a sack of flour. You see God's patience in that? and God's grace? Like, if you sinned and you said, I I didn't know I'd sinned. I didn't know I'd done wrong. It wasn't that God said, Well, you know what? Now you've got to bring in an entire bull. But Lord... I'm a homeless guy. I, I don't I don't have anything. I, I can't affordable. Oh, too bad. No, God's gracious. And if somebody in Israel had committed a sin through ignorance, they still had to get it right. There still had to be some atonement, but they could they could bring in a sack of flour as a guilt offering. There's a fifth offering, though. It's a little bit different than the sin offering. It's called the trespass offering. Now, we might struggle a little bit because sin and trespass often are used interchangeably, especially by preachers. So what's the difference between those? Well, the sin offering was for sins that were committed in ignorance. But the trespass offering, also known as the guilt offering, covered in Leviticus chapter 5, and, and uh, uh, you know there, there's references there for you to go in just for sake of time. I can't dive into it. Um, But the guilt offering would be if you knew you were doing wrong. If you did something purposely deceitful. If you did something to purposely uh, 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 pollute or desecrate the holy place. If you did something completely against God and you knew it and you didn't care. But it was found out. You were caught. You had to offer a trespass offering. And while the sin offering had all these levels of, of responsibility, if you were a priest, there was this higher higher uh, debt to be paid. If you were a common person, there was a lower. If, if you couldn't afford, you could bring turtle doves for the guilt offering. That is not the case. If you were purposefully doing what you knew to be wrong, you would have to bring, without option, a ram, without blemish. On top of that, you'd have to bring in silver that equaled to 20% of the damage that you had done. So let's put it where we can have a, a um, perhaps an illustration. Let's say that Pastor Lynn had a donkey, and the donkey got out. And I came across the donkey, and I recognized it as Pastor Lynn's donkey. But you know, I needed a new donkey because my donkey ran away, and one donkey's just as good as another's donkey. And so I grabbed Pastor Lynn's donkey and I brought it to my house and I hid it away in my barn and, and Pastor Lynn comes over and he says, well, where's my, have you seen my donkey anywhere? It got out and I can't find it. Well, I don't know. I haven't seen your donkey. And then the donkey dies because if I'm going to steal his donkey, I'm probably you know irresponsible enough not to feed the donkey. And it gets found out. And now I have to give this trespass offering. Not only do I have to uh, offer before the Lord, but I have to now take 20% of the value of the donkey in silver and offer that as well. It made it very evident that crime did not pay in ancient Israel. And that's that's not even bringing in all the law of Moses about you know, civil dealings and paying him back. That's just me, between my relationship between me and God. Because I purposely did wrong. And now I have to correct it. I have to offer this offering. So, those are the five offerings that Israel was given uh, before the Lord. And for these offerings, there's really two main purposes. The first reason, if you were going to offer an offering, would be for the, offer, uh, for the point of atonement or, or for repentance something that had been done wrong that you needed to tell God, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm bringing this this uh, burn offering, I'm bringing this guilt offering, I'm bringing this sin offering, and it's just it's just to say, god, i'm I'm sorry. I don't want to show you my heart. I want to I, I want to repent. I want to get it right. You know we as Christians ought to have a heart of repentance. We have a we ought to have a desire that when we have done wrong, whether to God or to our neighbor to to fix that wrong, you know, it's interesting, uh, the word, one of the words that's used here uh, describing the meal offering uh, is the the act, or rather the act of bringing the meal offering, not the name of it, but the act of bringing that offering in the Hebrew is the word korban. It's the same word that Jesus uses in Mark chapter 7, where he says, But ye say, if a man shall say to his father and mother, it is korban, that is to say a gift, by whatsoever thou mayest be profit of me, he shall be free." This idea of offering a gift. You know, elsewhere Jesus speaks of offering a gift. He says, if you bring your gift before the altar and there remember that your brother has ought against you, leave your gift at the altar. Go and, and get it right with your brother. Then offer your gift. See, this repentance, it is a common theme that flows throughout Scripture in these offerings and into the New Testament teachings of our Lord Jesus Christ. To have that heart that is tender. then when I have wronged somebody, then when I have hurt somebody, then I have done ill to somebody, then it is on me to seek repentance. It is on me to seek forgiveness for the ill that I have done. The other reason for offering an offering is to say thank you. Now, though the concept of animal sacrifices is very foreign to us, the purposes are not. The reasoning behind them are not. We Christians, we fully understand the idea of repentance. We fully understand the idea of thanksgiving. These same heartbeats that are for the offerings, they flow into the New Testament. They flow into the church. That we ought to be people of repentance, of of holiness, of uh, seeking to be right. We also ought to be people of praise. If there's anybody out there in this world today that is the most grateful, uh, having hearts of gratitude, it ought to be Christians. Because we've been forgiven the ultimate debt, we've been saved from our sin, we've been given a home in heaven. Beyond that, we've been adopted made sons, made joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Our our Father, our Heavenly Father is the Lord. It's God Himself. And we walk through this world, though we walk by faith, not uh, by sight, we walk through this world with a close companion who will never leave us nor forsake us. No matter what's going on in Washington, no matter what's going on uh, uh, in the stock market, no matter what's going on in the Middle East, we have this Confidence, this uh, sure faith that Jesus Christ is there with us. These are the reasons for the offering. But as I close tonight, I want to give what I call the theology of the offerings. Now, what is theology? Theology is the study of God. It's our understanding of who God is and, and what that means in His relationship to His people. It's the framework by which we try to understand God. And theology is important because how we understand God shapes how we understand the world that God has made. The way that we understand the world that God has made shapes how we choose to live and interact with others in the world that God has made. See, it doesn't take much looking at the culture around us that has rejected God and and, and done everything they can to push God away or redefine God in their own image. It doesn't take much to see how that affects their understanding of the world that God has made and how that affects their interaction (laughs) in the world that God has made. So, theology is important. How we, how we grasp these things, how we grasp these truths in Scripture, and what they teach us about God, it's important. And I believe these, these offerings, they give us a theology, a, a bit of an understanding about God's heart towards His people. I'll give you two things here as we close. Number one, these offerings were a gift of grace, they were a gift of grace. Now we look at them and say, but, but hold on, they were a work. You had to bring the offering, you gave the offering, you, you, you know, you were the one that provided all these things, and so if you were doing the work, how can it be a, a, a gift of grace? The very fact that you could offer an offering was a gift of God's grace. Remember, Israel, they kind of screwed up with the whole golden calf thing, and God almost wiped them out then and there were not for the intercession of Moses. They didn't deserve a second chance. They didn't deserve any means that would allow them to enter God's holy presence in the tabernacle. They didn't deserve to be God's people. They didn't choose Him. He chose them. He called them out of Egypt. He brought them out with a mighty hand. They did nothing in and of themselves to deserve these these things these instructions these these uh these um laws that will allow them to be holy people and yet god desired for them to be his holy people and without deserving it without really having any merit of their own god says hey you know what Israel I love you and I'm going to enable a way that someone else can stand in your place and can come before me and I'll accept that and though you may have sinned by ignorance and ignorance of the law is no excuse if you've ever gone through goldfield you know what I'm talking about Uh, there's that those speed limit changes and they happen so quickly and one, one night I got pulled over, I missed it, and, and, and I deserved a ticket. And the officer said, I'm going to give you a ticket. And then he forgot and drove away. So I'm like, oh man, grace. I didn't deserve it. So whether you would sinned by ignorance or you sinned on purpose, you meant it. You were, you, were, you were a conniving, dastardly McNasty, you were a turd in a bag, and you knew it. Whatever the case was there, God said, hey, I love you enough to offer some grace before you that you can can be forgiven, that you can be my people, that you can come to me and I can be your God. That's incredible. That's amazing. That's grace. These offerings were a gift of grace, but let me say this also in this theology of the offerings. The offerings were accepted by faith. Who received the instructions about the offerings? Were they given to the general people? No, it was Moses. Moses received the law from God. Moses brought the law to the people. Moses said, "Thus saith the Lord." So there is a certain element. If you were an, an Israelite in in you know the Sinai Peninsula in those days, and you sinned, and you knew you'd sinned, and you need to get it right, there's a certain element of Do I really believe Moses? How do I know he's not operating a secret meat packing plant in that that tent there? How do I know he's not just filling his pockets with my offering? Maybe he's got a famous Dave's in there or something. How do I know that my offering will really atone for my sin? Or is it just something that they made up? There's a certain element of faith. Am I going to believe that God actually said this? And am I going to believe that God meant what he said? There are some that teach this concept that in the Old Testament, salvation was by works. You had to be good enough. You had to earn it. You had to merit it. But I'm I'm pointing out to you here tonight, that is not the case. The means of salvation in those days was the same as it is for us today. The perspective is different. You know, for us today, we look back at the finished work of Christ on the cross. For them back then, they looked forward to it through these shadows that pointed to Christ. But it was still by grace through faith. And that not of yourselves, it was a gift of God, not of works as any man should boast. It's always been, the, 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 the way that God has dealt with man has always been by grace through faith. You can trace it back from Genesis all the way through Revelation. God has dealt with man by His grace, our unmerited, undeserved favor granted to us by God through faith. Will we believe His words? You know, the Christian life that we live today is very different in some regards than ancient Israel. You didn't go to a tent today in the middle of the desert hauling a bleeding lamb to be killed. Watch its blood be sprinkled and atone for your sin. You didn't, you know, the pastor Today. It wasn't in this white linen garment with this ephod and this breastplate with 12 stones and this crown. And, I mean, it, it, it was much more orn- ornate then. But there are some things that have not changed in a sense that God has been wonderfully consistent, dealing with mankind the same way over and over and over again. Unfortunately, mankind has dealt with God the same way over and over and over again. But praise God, He's faithful. Praise God, He's patient. Now, if you're here tonight and you've never received Christ as your Savior, there is an invitation to do that. You are a sinner. Not the words you want to hear coming into church. You probably were hoping that somebody would give you some words of encouragement, but there it is. That's the truth. You and I, we are sinners. I am a sinner. It doesn't take long getting to know me that that is the case. You can ask my wife. Uh, She she has notes. She can tell you uh, I, I am a sinner. The problem is that sin has a penalty. Because we have broken God's law, we are... Under God's wrath and deserving of God's punishment. Because ignorance of the law is no excuse. We broke the law, period. We deserve the, the the payment of that of that punishment. You know, when we speak of or think of human judges, and we think of human judges that don't come down upon offenses of our law, or we think of human prosecutors that don't uh, prosecute when the law has been broken, we say they're corrupt. And we despise that, because there's a certain element of us that, you know, being made in the image of God, we we hunger for justice, because that's how God is wired. But it's amazing when God's concerned, and we think of Him judging sin, we say, well, God's mean if He judges sin. No, God's righteous. He's a good judge. He's not a corrupt judge. But even though we were sinners, and even though we were deserving of the penalty of that that sin, we broke God's law, we, we stood underneath God's wrath, yet God made a way. By His grace, He sent His own Son into the world. Jesus Christ died on our behalf. He was that Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Just like like the, the sheep and the goats and the bulls and the pigeons and everything else that got brought in to the tabernacle, Jesus stood as our representative on our behalf. He died that we might live. Jesus Christ died. He was buried like any Other man. But unlike any other man, Jesus got back up. Jesus lives. He's alive today. He offers a gift. It's called eternal life. He paid for it with his death on the cross, he sealed the deal with his resurrection from the grave. Anyone who receives the gospel can be saved. For by grace are ye saved through faith. You can't see Jesus. He's not standing here physically. You can't put your hands in the holes in His hand or His side. Everything I'm saying to you, you have to now wrestle with, whether you actually believe it or not. And there's this thing about the gospel. No one can be truly neutral to the gospel. When you hear it, you either believe it or you don't. There's no other choice. There's no in-between. So if you're here tonight and you've never received Jesus as your Savior, can I plead with you? Tonight's the night. Maybe you've put it off. Maybe you've been trying to ignore it. Maybe there's that, that, that conviction the Holy Spirit and He's been dealing with you. Tonight's the night. But can I also speak to Christians? The same way that you got into the Christian life is the same way that you live the Christian life. It is still by grace and it's still through faith. The gospel is not just that springboard to get into Christianity, but it is the reality of everyday life for the Christian. We live the gospel. We cherish the gospel. We think of how Christ died uh, and rose again that we might have new life, but that we might have life abundantly. That we can walk through this life with Him as our close companion. That He can instruct us in His Word. That He can lead us to people and He can empower us to help them and be His hands and His feet here on this earth. To do what He has called the church to do. We don't deserve it. But we're here by His grace. And each and every day, we walk not by sight, but we walk by faith. Let's stand together. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed, and Pastor will do the invitation. <clears throat> With your heads bowed and your eyes closed.